Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. I was was blindsided. Like, I had these plans with him and obviously they're not going ahead. So that's hard to, to deal with. And also just constant people calling me, asking for my story, asking to buy my story. I'm like, my story is not Lockie. My story is something else. So you can pay me 10 grand if you want, but I'm not talking about <laughs> Is there that, that much money in telling stories? Apparently. I'm yeah. going to make one up. <laughs> Forever I'm wondering, Brooke was paid $0 for this interview. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing this for free because I trust these girls. <laughs> I don't trust anyone else. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. Today on the show, we are joined by the sunny Brooke Jowett. If you are a fan of Survivor Australia, you are no doubt already familiar with Brooke. She has now appeared on two separate seasons of the show, the first, which aired in 2016, and the one on your television screens right now, Survivor All-Stars. The 27-year-old has made quite a name for herself as a fierce competitor, but Brooke has also been dominating headlines lately for a rather unfortunate reason too. She's the woman who is blindsided by the country's next big Bachelor star. But we'll get to all of that later. First, let's hear from the woman who has showed Australia exactly what she's made of on two separate occasions without a phone or a wardrobe or any of the creature comforts that keep Zara and I sane day to day. Here's Brooke. Brooke Jowett, welcome to Shameless in Conversation. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. We are very excited to have you. It's been a big few, I mean, I was going to say a few months for you, given you filmed Survivor and now watching it back. We will get into all of that today. Mm -hmm. But the first question we have for you is, what are you reading, watching or listening to at the moment that you would recommend to someone listening? I'm really into crime podcasts. I mean, Teacher's Pet, I'm a bit behind on it, but I've suddenly got on board with that. Obviously, Survivor, I've been watching a lot of, but... <laughs> Were you a big fan before the show? Yeah, no, to be honest, I had watched like three episodes before I went on in season one. Really? Yeah, which was really rare compared to all the super fans who knew every contestant and knew absolutely everything about it. But I just went in being like, this seems like a cool opportunity. <laughs> and then I just had to binge watch as much as I could and try to prepare myself that way. What's it like to watch yourself back? I mean, I know we're going to get into the depths of all of these things later, but I guess given it's your biggest watch at the moment... Do you just want to roll your eyes at yourself? Yes, I do. There's so many things that I watch. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I don't know if I was saying that in that context, but it looks bad. Or yeah, just editing is something that you can't control. And you know that when you sign up, but even just like my voice. And I've noticed this weird thing that I do with my mouth all the time. (laughs) What do you do? Show us. I do this. Oh, oh, yeah, you kind of move it to the side. Yeah. I think it's because like the side of my mouth gets really dry. So I'm constantly like licking it and I can't stop seeing it. 
And now, sorry, I've ruined it for you guys. You guys are be seeing it all the time. I imagine it would be that sensation of when you go into a department store change room and the mirrors are from every single angle and you yes. just see yourself from angles that you never imagined seeing yourself yes, in. Is that absolutely. confronting? Yeah, it is because I'm like, you know, we're like in the whole photo world, Instagram world, you go the sides that work for you. I'm like, absolutely not. The back of my head where I've got a bald patch. I'm like, oh, it's all these sides I've never, never even seen before. So add on top of that as well, like you probably haven't showered for a long time exactly. I'm actually quite surprised that I don't have really long underarm hairs because we did a challenge the other day with our arms up and I was expecting like them to be long enough to so plait. <laughs> they oh weren't too bad. God. They must just get used to being chopped and all the time yes. and shaved up. Yeah. Brooke, what were you like as a kid? To be honest, I was a bit of a tomboy. Well, I still am a little bit of a tomboy. But yeah, growing up, so my my family's always been really like outdoorsy, adventurous, try anything once. And that's something that I grew up with, which I learned from my dad. So even with like food or experiences, it would always be, yeah, you can say no, but you have to try it first, mm. which is something that I think has really made me someone who's like strong and willing to give everything a go and love adventure. So I'm really happy that, you know, that was ingrained in me from a young age. Were you a sporty kid? Yeah, I was. I was always like a little skinny dangly thing, but loved basketball, basketball, athletics. And then, yeah, as of recent, I think it's only been about three years where I've really got into fitness. Mm. Brooke, you and I went to the same high school. I was thinking that. <laughs> Someone <laughs> told me this before and I was like, were we in the same year level? So I had a bit of like a crisis before you came on the podcast because <laughs> I felt I like... I can't believe neither of you talked about this before we jumped on my I know. I felt like you went to Avila and then I was stalking your Instagram to be like, I need confirmation that you actually did because I can't just bring that up on a podcast yeah. and you look at me and be like... Fuck no, no, what's we that? Did. We did both go to Avila. I remember you being very sporty in high school. But then when I was researching you, I couldn't find any proof of that. And I was like, did I just concoct this <laughs> in my head? Yeah. You were no. the year above me. I was the year above. That's yeah. Right. I was yeah. like totally irrelevant. I was going to say quite <laughs> memorable, Michelle Andrews. Yeah. <laughs> I was, so was I. I was not cool. I was an absolute dork for the first years of high school. And then I think I got a little bit cool once I started waxing my monobrow. I remember you being cool. <laughs> uh, not a cool girl, but I remember you being very, very well liked. So oh, that's nice. you can take that home yeah, with you. <laughs> what did you want to do when you were in high school? Did you have like ambitions to go into a certain career or yeah. what? For me, it's always been tossing up between doing something like veterinary science or TV presenting. Right. Yeah. Really similar then. Yeah, completely different. I mean, listen, I mean it could be the next Bondi vet, you never know. <laughs> but um, yeah. Next Chris Brown. Or the next Chris Brown, yep. Oh, God, I love him. Um, <laughs> just, just, just pause for a moment. Just leave it I there. I love him. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I um, wanted to be a vet or something with animals. That was always my thing. Right. And what did you, you ended up going into sort of comms and media sales, didn't you, before Survivor? Talk us through that, getting from loving animals and wanting to work in sort of vet science to finding yourself there. Yeah. So weirdly enough, I have had, so I've done so many different courses. I'm someone who changes my mind a lot and like I just, I've still been trying to figure out what I want over the last five or so years. So straight from high school, I went into veterinary science. And I did that for about six months and it was quite far away. And then I crashed my car because I was a horrible driver back then and couldn't really get to uni. I mean, I could, but it was an excuse. And <laughs> <laughs> was that because you weren't really enjoying it as much yeah. as you thought you would? And you're like, you know what? I was I just, like, yeah. For me, I was like, I just want to hang out with big animals and studying microbiology. I was just like, this is not what I had in mind and I've yeah. got so long of this. So yeah, from there I went into PE teaching exercise and sports science and then realised that uni wasn't for me. So dropped out of everything and then fell into a media job and worked my way up. When you say uni wasn't for you, the lifestyle wasn't for you, you just didn't like the kind of course content or what? Yeah, I think a bit of both. Mm. The lifestyle, 
the definitely the course content, like just studying the little things. I'm like, this is irrelevant. Like, mm. I just want to. I feel like you could just go into the workforce and learn this. So, yeah. I definitely look back on my time at university and feel like at least three quarters of it, no offence to Melbourne University, was kind of totally useless. Yeah. Mind you, I did do an arts degree, so I don't know what I thought I'd get out of it that would be helpful. (laughs) Talk to us about then getting into the media and getting into media sales and then choosing to go on reality television. Was that ever something that you considered growing up? Did you used to watch reality TV stars and be like, that's something I could do? Yeah. How did that come about? To be honest, it never crossed my mind to do reality TV until I was sitting, I was in an assistant role at the time and I was sitting at work at my office and I I really hate being indoors. So being in an office job is not ideal for me at all. So sitting there and then an ad came on behind me and it was like Australian Survivor, apply. So I sat there and I applied for ages, completely forgot about it. And then they sent me an email saying, you haven't submitted a video. So I did that and then somehow just kept getting through the stages and then next minute I knew I was on. So when you heard that ad and you were like, oh, fuck it, I'm just going to apply, were you just bored and thought it was something to do? What did you think (laughs) about the show and the experience or did you not think about it at all? Well, obviously, like, because I'm such a thrill seeker, I was like, okay, sweet, an opportunity to go out and test myself and go spend some time in some country, didn't know where. But I just really wanted some excitement. I think I was in this really, like, dull moment where I'm just working as an assistant in an office and – I was ready for something new and I just, yeah, just gave it a go, just started writing out these questions. There were so many questions. It was a lot of really controversial things. Oh, really? So what yeah. do they ask? They ask, like, would you would you ever cheat? What's your opinion on monogamy? What? Yeah, really random, irrelevant, but like controversial things. So they really just want to get a sense of who you are. Yeah, and I think they want to find a few crazies too. I mean, I mean, they always do, me. right? But they didn't find one with me, right? But you are, you are <laughs> no, very much fine. not one of those. <laughs> I want to ask you about that very first season because you've been on two seasons of Survivor now. Yes. That first season, the plane ride over, what were you feeling and thinking? I mean, you were kind of being plunged into a pool that no one had any idea what was in the water right because it was the first season of Australian Survivor what was going through your head I was so terribly nervous for the first season I like I said goodbye to my family I didn't know what was going to happen on the other side of the plane I just got told like someone will meet you there and put you in a van and (laughs) I was like that sounds like uh taken (laughs) (laughs) but sign me up (laughs) this sounds great so yeah you just kind of have to throw yourself in and as soon as you get there it's just like an absolute blur you're put you're literally put in a van and it's on what do they tell you to bring I'm going to ask all the dumb questions right now because I'm a long-time survivor fan so I'm interested you get on the plane what do they tell you you're allowed to bring yeah so you're allowed one pre-approved outfit which obviously takes a lot of thought. Mm-hmm. I wore short shorts and <laughs> shirt around my waist. But then you also get five items to go in with, which you can pick and choose. You know, I think a bra and undies counts as one, thank God. And then one bra, one pair of undies. Yep. So okay. I had I had one bikini and one pair of bra and undies. How mm. long for? I was there for forty five days. Oh my god. What else did you bring? I brought some long pants, a long jumper and a sarong. Sarong is the best decision ever because it's like a blanket. It's a towel. It's really... Oh, my God, I feel sick. Yeah. I would have brought that. I mean, like, I'm dumb when I'm packing to go down to Sorrento, (laughs) let alone like... (laughs) Could you have brought, like, hypothetically, could you have brought a can of, like, aerosol deodorant or something? No. No. So no items. Um, just clothes. Just clothes. Oh. Yeah, sorry. So not like just clothing items. What about a book? 
Nothing, nada. Oh my god! Yeah, we didn't get any items of that. Sort. <laughs> what book would you bring? I, You'd I have know. to bring one that's like a thousand pages long. Yeah. I know. Sometimes I used to think that I was cut out for Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> now and I'm like, fuck Not no. Anymore. So you land. Was the first season in Fiji? The first season was in Samoa. Samoa. You land in Samoa with your five items of clothing. Did you ever have like a freak out moment where you're like, I can't fucking do this? I think for me, my main issue, like I knew I could survive the elements. My main thing is the cold. I hate the cold and because I don't have much meat on my bones. I don't have much (laughs) insulation. But yeah, I was worried about the cold and I was also worried because once we got there, you have a few days in lockdown before you actually start and it was pissing down, like absolutely storming. And I'm looking outside being like, I'm going to be in that (laughs) on the ground trying to sleep in that. And that was horrific. So you can't meet anyone before you go in. You literally buy yourself in a hotel room for a couple of days before filming starts. Yeah. Do you have electronics? Do you have like your phone? Nothing. So what do you your do? phone gets confiscated in Melbourne. Like so I got my phone confiscated before I left. No books, no Kindles, no <laughs> Brooke, this is my worst nightmare. I'm not gonna <laughs> So how do your family know you're alive? Well, they get to speak to the talent manager. So they knew I was alive, <laughs> oh but they God. didn't really know much at all. They just know either like I'm alive or if, I think no news is good news in that case. Like they'd know if I wasn't alive, I hope. So lockdown, you're in a hotel room, you don't have a phone, you don't have a television? You don't have – no, no TV. And what do you do? The worst part for me, you don't have a clock. What? So you don't know the time. Are Why? They, are they trying to kind of stir you up a bit before you go in? Yeah, I think it's a bit of preparation. Like out there we're not going to know the time and we can't, you know, rely on that anymore. So it would be like I'll be – someone would come in and say, oh, I'll come back with dinner. And I'm like, is that in two hours? Is that in six hours? Like what – when am I getting fed? Like it was – Could you ask them? Yeah, like they don't, they don't give you much. They're not meant to be speaking to you. So – I know it's only a small amount of time, but doesn't the loneliness also hit when you have nothing? What, like, how did you pass the time in lockdown before you went in? I went crazy and the space is not like not huge at all. I was literally like running back and forth up and down from the door to the other door to the wall. Like, I did some yoga. I don't know. I'm horrible at yoga. I just invented some things, some new positions. But yeah, I just went crazy. I am blown away by this. I mean, Survivor sounds hard, but that almost sounds harder because yeah. you have no human contact. So the morning you, I assume you get picked up to go into the jungle. Yeah. What happens? Like, do you all get put in a bus together? Are you all thrown and the cameras turn on and it's like, all right, you guys go. Like what happens? So you, they, they take a few of you at, a, at the same time. So you can kind of know a little bit of who's going to be there, a couple of people, but then you're literally just, you rock up, you don't see each other and you're on the beach and it's like, game on guys. <laughs> so you meet all these people. Was it hard to make friends? And I mean, we can talk about both Survivors now because we've kind of got the first introduction. Talking about both seasons of Survivor that you've been on, the one that's currently airing right now in Australia. Is it a friendly feeling between the contestants when you first meet? I mean, I'm imagining this season it's all starts. So everyone kind of knows of each other or has met each other or connected on DMs in Instagram. Absolutely. Yeah. So season one, it was very much like you just want to be everyone's friend. Like no matter what, you're getting there, everyone's like, hi, like all very friendly, chummy, chummy. This time you get there and everyone is sizing you up. Everyone was looking like, hmm, I know what you've done. And it was a completely different vibe, very strategic this time around. And everyone was just like game on as soon as we got there. Were you worried about how you were going to be portrayed at all, Uh, particularly in the first season because you had no exposure to TV or reality television or even editing? Was that a concern for you? It was. So I, you kind of get a bit of a vibe from the producers at the start, why they've picked you and what kind of character you're going to be. So for me, it was a bit girl next door vibe, like outdoorsy girl, kind of down to earth. 
Yeah, down to earth, but also underestimated. So that was my whole facade. It was like this skinny little corporate girl who actually actually girls who can do things get shit done. And then somehow it did turn a bit sour. It came into a little bit of like a mean girl alliance because there was three girls in power. I was going to ask you about that because I remember that portrayal and finding it really, really interesting that you girls were painted in such an extreme way. How do you consider looking back on it? Do you think about the sexism at play with the editing? Yeah, I do. That's something that really bugs me looking back on season one. And because because I'm not like that at all. And watching it back and hearing things in different contexts and just the fact that Australia looked at us because we were making the big moves. We were controlling who was going home. So we were the bitches. Like, why does, mm. why is that the case? Because if it was a group of guys, it would be like, oh, my God, they're so sick. Like, look at them, like, running the tribe. Well, they're presented as the kings, like king of exactly. the jungle kind of yeah. moniker instead of the three bitches, like, high school Absolutely. Vibe. Which is something that has really upset me since season one. And I was really hoping that wouldn't happen this time, and it hasn't, thank God. Did I mean, I hope it hasn't. I think I'm trolling seeing it a bit of a different After that storyline sort of came into fruition? Yeah, absolutely. Really? I, I, I copped it after season one. I had people chasing me down the street yelling at me. I had death threats. I had all these horrible messages. And for me, it was like, I haven't actually done anything wrong. Like, I was just playing the game and doing well at it. Yeah. So what then makes you say, okay, I'm getting trolled on the street. People are yelling at me and sending death threats. And you know what? I'm going to go back on for a season two and do it all again. Why yeah. would you want to do that? I completely get why you'd be confused at that because that was it was really horrible the way that people perceived me in season one. And I was so nervous that this was going to happen again. But for me, I think the fact that the game has changed so much over the last few years and people really understand that it's a game and you're meant to be sneaky and you're meant to be like making these powerful decisions and that doesn't make you necessarily a bad person. It's the game. And I think People like Dave and Luke and all these cheeky characters have really put that out there, that it is just for fun. Mm. Um, so I was really hoping that the public would see it that way this time around. So it was almost like Australia needed a few seasons to warm up to the idea and be like, oh, you're supposed to be, like, conniving. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in like it was the first season, the first real season of Australian Survivor when I played. So no one knew really what the game was about and what a good player looked like. Mm. So for them, I was just like, they were just treating it like it was The Bachelor or some other little, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say that show. <laughs> <laughs> scrap that, that, scrap show. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they were treating it like a different show and not understanding that the point is you need to trick people. You need mm. to do these sneaky things to actually be a good player and try to win the money. What's it like then going back to a real life job and meeting with clients and going into meetings after all of this? <laughs> like, is it strange? Yeah, it's definitely weird. I do feel a bit uncomfortable now when I have meetings with people because they they do always want to talk about it and they want to talk about the show and they ask me things. I'm like, oh, God, I'm trying to focus on my job right now. (laughs) Also, I'll give you a little bit of information to tie you over for a while. (laughs) Do you struggle as a woman? I can imagine myself in this position and maybe I'm just not the personality type built for Survivor. I think we've both come to to that realisation today. Did you have to, like, gear yourself up, though, or gear yourself up to be able to be confrontational and be able to make those difficult moves? Did you ever have, like, a crisis of confidence to be like, I'm not capable of being nasty in this situation? Yeah, to be honest, I think in both seasons I was never nasty. Mm. It's just the editing that... It kind of made it look that way in season one but this time like I do my best in the real world and in the game to make everyone feel like happy and good and that I'm interested in what they have to say and interested in their story and I did the same thing this time which is why like a few things that you haven't seen is I was really close with Mo Moana Hope mm. in this show 
And that's because I took the time to get to know her and really made an effort with her as, as well as some of the other contestants. And that's something that has made me get this far in the game. Like people want to be around someone who cares about them and wants to know more about them. So take us into the actual like camp itself or what do you guys call it? It's not camp, is it? It's kind of a beach. Like, yeah. yeah. Take us into the setting itself. So what kind of food are you given day to day to those who might not watch the show regularly? Yeah. What kind of basic human rights are fulfilled <laughs> and what do you have to do to fend for yourself? So pretty much you get rations every three or four days. It equates to kind of maybe like a cup of rice and beans for breakfast and a cup of rice and beans for lunch. Sometimes you find some coconut or pawpaw. I don't know if it's pawpaw or papaya. I still don't know the difference, to be honest. <laughs> um, and that's it. So whatever you find around the island you can eat, but really there's nothing except the occasional rotten coconut and yeah, desperate times. And as far as personal hygiene goes, you have like what, the ocean? The ocean, the ocean and sand. So sand is the exfoliant, the ocean is, yeah, your shower. Sorry wow. to be graphic as well, but I'm just thinking if I got my period while I was over there, what do you do? You get tampons. Okay, thank I mean, you God. would hope. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> just just like, here's a banana leaf. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I'm like, I'm not shocked. But no, you do, you can bring in the pill or tampons. Okay. Thank the Lord. For me, it was hell because I, I was on the pill. I went on the pill purposely because I was like, oh, this is a good time to do it I don't, I, so I can skip my period. And it worked in the I thought you meant that for other reasons. Oh, my God. <laughs> the perfect this opportunity. Can't wait to meet someone. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, but, yeah, so that was like the complete opposite thing that happened to me. I went on the pill and I had my period for about 40 out of 45 days. What? Yeah. That's really interesting to me. My body just went into like shutdown. It just can, was so confused and it was the worst possible time. I'm like, I'm in a bikini all the time. Did your body feel quite heavy? And you know when you have your period and your body just feels like blur. it has a different form? It's blur, yeah. right? Yeah. And then to not be eating and to be performing in challenges too is incredibly yeah. tough. Yeah, it's tough. I, th- I remember the feeling before most challenges and you're standing there and I'm like, I'm going to faint, I'm going to faint. And as soon as he says, like, survivor's ready, go, it's just like adrenaline, like it's on. And somehow you get through it, which is pretty amazing about the human body. What about psychological support through this time? Like what kind of help is on hand and where do you find that kind of comfort or someone just to bounce off if it's not the contestants? Yeah, well, it's it's a good outlet when you do do your pieces to camera where they take you off and you do your confessionals because you do get to speak to someone different and you can you can vent without people finding out until mm. later in the show. Awkward. Um <laughs> But, yeah, that's a good outlet. And also they do have a psych on hand. Did you ever feel like you needed that or were you kind of like, I've got this? I'm no, okay. I think I was I was in a really good place season one. Mm. Mentally I was fine. This season I found a lot harder. I don't know if it's because I had a niece and nephew now at home and I felt like I was missing out on a, a bit more. So, yeah, I was really emotional about being away from family and I was playing from the bottom. So, yeah, it was a, a lot more tough. I wanted to ask you about your mind because you're talking about, you know, standing in front of challenges and feeling like you're going to faint and then finding adrenaline from somewhere. But I really don't think that most people could do that. Like, I really don't think that most people could find that. Where do you think that has come from? Do you think it's your family? Do you think it's how you've grown up? Do you think it's inbuilt inside of you? I think it's a bit of everything. Like, I have, I've had some hardships in in the past and I've, I've watched people go through things that they've had to be strong. And I think that's something that I've got 
built in me now and it's just like if like pain is temporary like you can push through you can do it and that's just my mentality on everything now Mm. what have you learned from survivor what are the biggest takeaway lessons that you've had about yourself definitely that I'm a lot more resilient than I thought and that my mind is a lot stronger than I initially imagined like I went into season one not thinking that I'd be really good at challenges or how good I'd actually be and coming out of it I was like wow I really love this stuff like I absolutely love the physical elements and that's what made me want to do PT like I had no idea that I wanted to be a personal trainer until after season one really yeah I'm interested also in like the game element of the show because we touched on before right you were sort of hugely empowered in the first season that you were part yeah. of you were like kicking people out left right and center and controlling the game because it is a game but then I think a lot of people watch it and also struggle to see it as a game and can see the more yeah. human elements what's it like playing a game forming really close bonds with people because you have no one else to talk to and then also feeling like betrayed by them yeah it's hard because you do you do know it's a game it's what you sign up for but when you're there and you're surrounded by people 24 7 it's all you've got and it becomes your world so having someone betray you in that sense like weirdly cuts you up a lot like I got betrayed by my best friend in season one and it was honestly like I felt like I'd been cheated on. Like I was so upset about it. Was that in the moment or was it watching it back or was it both? Both. Yeah, mostly in the moment. I mean, I was in shock for a long time. I was like, I just don't know how this happened. Like, she was my friend. And I'm like, this is a bloody game. What are you doing? Like, yeah. Why are you so cut up about it? But because it's like absolutely your whole life and you're with these people all the time and yeah, it really plays a game with your mind. Did that bring tension into the friendship itself after the game finished and filming ended? Yeah, it was a bit awkward for a while. Uh, it took a while for us to to make up and we ended up doing some charity stuff together and we're, we're actually good friends. So yeah. yeah, but it definitely makes you kind of be like, oh, you betrayed me. Coming up after the break, Brooke tells us how it feels to watch the man you were dating announce he's now the country's shiny new bachelor. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. It would be hard, I imagine, to look back on some of the relationships that you forge in an environment like that because, as you said, sometimes it might not translate to real life and sometimes it does, does, like that friendship you just touched on then. One that has dominated the media, and I know that you're going to dread talking about this, but we're going to try and do it in a way that makes you feel comfortable as well, Brooke. One story that is everywhere right now is about you and Lockie. Obviously, you and Lockie struck up, what would you call it, a romance on the show? Yeah, I mean, some people say showmance, I say romance. Like, it's a romance whether I'm on a show or not, to be honest. And it was... Yeah, it was real for me. It was real for him. And out there, like, we were with each other 24-7. And it was, like, we had all these plans. We knew everything about each other. And it was really nice having that out there, especially when, you like, I was really missing my family. Mm. So having someone who I just found comfort in was really lovely. What are your memories together on the show? Like, what are the things that people might not have seen about that dynamic? Um, yeah, well, we, we literally spent every second together every night we he made us a bed out of bamboo like we had we were trying to play it down and I was like oh we can't sleep next to each other anymore because people are going to start you know wanting to get us out because you'll be seen as a target then right if you guys are so like into each other and you're in such a close bond then that's seen as a threat to other people who aren't in a couple in the game of survivor a power couple is the worst thing you can do strategically Mm -hmm. like I never would have wanted to come into this game being like I'm going to get in a power couple because that's (laughs) just like I want to go home day three (laughs) (laughs) it's not a good idea but 
Yeah, I couldn't help it. I was like, I really enjoyed my time out there with him. Did that mean you had to be secretive about like how much you were into each other? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we toned it down a lot and we only spoke about some things like whispering at night time and when people weren't listening. Mm. But, you know, we didn't really hide too much. I think everyone kind of knew what was going <laughs> on. I mean, in fairness, there's only so much you can hide when there are cameras on you all day. Exactly. There's cameras everywhere. People are constantly getting asked questions like, what do you, how do you feel about Lucky and Brooke? And so it's in everyone's <laughs> mind. And like, oh, so, so like, true. why are you asking me about yeah. Lucky and Brooke? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But now I know something's happening. Exactly. So the morning after the episode that airs, Lucky is voted out. Yep. He is announced as Channel 10's new Bachelor. And I think the first comment on most of the threads online was, hang on, what about Brooke? So that evening you posted an Instagram post, which was incredibly eloquent. I can say that on your behalf. And you (laughs) wrote this line that I found very interesting. You said, in no way am I or is my survivor experience defined by Lockie or any other man. I was never hiding in his shadow in the game and I won't be hiding in his shadow now, but I will always cherish those times we shared. It was an amazing life experience. I wanted to ask you about why you deliberately put that line in about being in his shadow. Yeah. Well, for me, something that's really bugged me since watching the show back is like Lockie and I were on par the entire time. We were both making decisions. If not, I was kind of making decisions more than him. But the way that it's shown is that it's Lockie's alliance and Lockie's making the big calls and I'm just his little sidekick who's there just to look pretty and Mm. tell him well done. But that's just not how it was at all. Like if, if anything, we were, yeah, we were both on the same level and yeah, watching it back being like, Brooke's hiding in his shadow. She's not making her own moves. I'm like, this is part of my move is being in this power couple, which is making like all the decisions. I'm making the decisions right now. So yeah, that's something that has really bothered me. And even so now I'm just sick of waking up every morning. I Google myself every day. Sorry, that's really embarrassing. I'm sorry anyone on a reality (laughs) TV show would be Googling themselves every day, particularly when the Daily Mail sidebar of shame is like populated with stories of their face. Yeah, absolutely. So every morning I wake up now and I type my name in and everything that comes up is Lockie Gilbert. And I'm like, to be honest, I... I just want an article that is not related to Lockie. Like I played a, I played a fierce game. I've played a game that I'm really proud of and Lockie was only part of that. Mm. So there's no part of my story right now in the public that is just Brooke. Like it's always Brooke and Lockie, Lockie and Brooke. It also must be pretty frustrating. I mean, I can even talk about this for you to be constantly tied back to someone who potentially either screwed you over or as you said in your Instagram post, blindsided you, right? Yeah. Like you don't want to always be defined by this guy who didn't act the best yeah yeah personally like it's definitely really hard to wake up and see photos of me and Lockie every single morning Mm. especially when yeah I I was I was blindsided like I had these plans with him and obviously they're not going ahead so that's hard to to deal with and also just constant people calling me, asking for my story, asking to buy my story. I'm like, my story is not Lockie. My story is something else. So you can pay me 10 grand if you want, but I'm not talking about <laughs> is that Is there shit. that much money in telling stories? Apparently. Yeah. I'm going to make one up. <laughs> Forever I'm wondering, Brooke was paid $0 for this interview. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing this for free because I trust these girls. <laughs> I don't trust anyone else. <laughs> but let's talk about that media response because that must be completely overwhelming. And we work in the media and I don't think I would be trained in the slightest to be able to yeah. handle that. Is there anyone giving you advice? Is there anyone telling you what to do? How do you kind of deal with that? Yeah, well, with my statement, that's something that I, I literally sat on for quite a while because I was like, I I wanted, like I had people be asking my opinion. Everyone's tagging mm. me things. I'm constantly seeing that photo everywhere. And to be honest, I wanted to, I wanted to say my piece and I think I had the right to do so. But a lot of other people kind of obviously weren't happy that I did that and they wanted to kind of shush it down a bit. Mm. 
Who wrote that post, by the way? Because it was so great. Did you have like a team of girlfriends helping you write yeah. it? Because the tone of it, <laughs> the tone when I read it was like, I've been screwed over. However, I'm a strong, independent woman yeah. and I don't really need him anyway onto bigger and better things, yeah. which was awesome. Who wrote that with well, you? It's all true. Like, it's exactly how I feel. I'm like, I do feel screwed over. I do feel hurt. But I know it's not the end of, like, end of the world. I know I've got bigger and better things planned. Mm. And Lockie's just a small part of my story. So for me, it's like, Power on, sister. Yeah. But I wrote it and to be honest, what I wrote initially, <laughs> it was a freaking essay. And it, <laughs> and it had so much detail, way too much detail. And I sent it to a friend and she's like, maybe take out this part, <laughs> take out this part. So I did get some help. But yeah, in, in the end, it's my words. It's just a shorter version of what I originally wrote. That's what every person who's in like an emotional crisis needs though. They need that friend to be like, let's just pair this back 50% yeah, and then we'll send it exactly. out to the world. Yeah. How do you feel about it now? I mean, have you been sleeping number one? Because I imagine this many articles coming out all the time must make you feel frazzled and a yeah. little bit anxious. How are you doing? Like, are you feeling calm again or are you still yeah. a bit wired? I think today is, oh, sorry, probably yesterday and today are the first days that I've actually felt back to myself. Mm. If it's, I think it's been about a week or so, but I have hardly been sleeping. When I'm awake, I'm constantly on my phone. Like my eyes are just hurting. That's how much I've been staring at my phone and Googling things and getting tagged in things. And it's a lot. It's been a lot. And then going going to look at magazines and every second magazine has something ridiculous in it. Like, mm. Brooke is not wife material. What? Brooke, yeah. Someone, what makes it, you not wife material? Did you read it? Yeah, I read it. So they tried, in Lockie's defence, they did try to make it look like he said it. And in no way did he say mm. that in his statement. But the title was Brooke is not wife material. And the whole article is about the fact that I live in Melbourne and Lockie lives in Perth and Bali. Mm. So that makes me not wife material. <laughs> oh my I, mate, I cook a mean beef curry. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I, I cook, I clean, I'm wife material. Oh, How does so your family offended. deal with stuff like that? Like what do your parents think about all this? Oh, yeah. My, yeah, my family's not stoked. Yeah. Um, my dad is very protective. Mm. He's been like asking me for Lockie's number for quite a <laughs> <laughs> um, Which, yeah, I'm definitely not going to give him. But, yeah, my mum is just like, you just need to push on. Just don't read it. Like, Everyone says don't read it. I'm going to read it. Mm. Like, it's right in my face everywhere. Mm. But, yeah, my everyone knows that. You know, I'm bigger and better things. My sister's definitely very much like you can you dodge a bullet much better better off. Sounds like such a sister thing to say. I know. Who do you lean into into this time? Like who are you really close with in your life that you find you go to in moments of like when you need solace and support? Absolutely. My sister is definitely my my sister and my mum, both my number one fans. Like they're always I know they're always gonna tell me what I want to hear, which is great, but also <laughs> stop me from doing anything silly. I mean you do feel like you have to be really reactive to these things and they're like, just sit on it, sleep on it. And I think that's the best way to do it now because if I was going to be reactive, I would have dug myself a big hole because I would have <laughs> sent come. out that essay into the world. <laughs> yeah, the essay would be out there, I think. <laughs> Can you show us that essay when we go there? By the way, I yeah, really want to read this. It's long and really detailed. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! It is like the first draft of anything. Yeah, I've, I actually I'm so lucky that I feel like I've got this group of like really strong women around me, mm. and that everyone has my back. I've got about maybe five really close girlfriends who are, they read everything before I do it. They like they give me advice before I say anything or do anything, um, and they're just really good at making me feel better. Is that the case with contestants on the show as well? Have you had an outpouring of support from them? I have, yeah. I've had messages from contestants who I'm not necessarily that close with, mm. just telling me that, you know, this is nothing, you've got bigger things ahead and 
can do a lot better and whatnot. So it's nice hearing that, especially from people who know what things were actually like out there. And saw it and were there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they understand why I feel a bit blindsided. Mm-hmm. And the, I must say, like, Lockie and I were not officially dating. And I think I've tried to make that as public as I could. But it's the fact that we had things planned. And in my head, maybe not his, I thought something was going to happen, which he disagreed on, I guess. Of course. And there is an absolute blind side that comes with that. I wanted to ask you how you want, particularly over the last couple of seasons of Survivor, but also after this, you want people to, it sounds so weird to say remember you because you're not dying, <laughs> yeah. but like, how, what do you want people to think of you and how do you want them to consider you after all of this, after all of this yeah. time in the public domain? I want I want people to view me as someone who's strong, who's her own person. I'm like, I'm extremely independent and that's why I'm so frustrated with the fact that my name is constantly linked to Lockie's because I'm like, for me, I'm someone who's strong. I've been great in challenges. I've been fierce in all components of the game. I've played a mean strategic um, strategic and social game mm. and there's just so much more to me and I just hope people see that side. And I, th- I think the good thing now is that Lockie is out of the game. So for me... What comes now is just purely me. It's like time to write your own narrative free from him. It's good timing. I mean, yeah, Yeah. he's out and he's The Bachelor and whatever, but now it's your time to shine on your show and do your bit. Speaking of your time to shine on your show, Bachelorette. (laughs) (laughs) Would you ever? Would you do another reality program? I don't know. After this week, like I think... If someone asked me to do Bachelorette a while ago, I would have been like, absolutely. You'd be a great Bachelorette. I reckon you'd be awesome. I think, yeah, because I like, generally I do really want to find someone. Mm. But seeing, thinking about the show now, I'm like, I don't necessarily know if that's where you go to find someone. I'm like, I think maybe the real world, aka Tinder, (laughs) is going to be a better option for me. (laughs) What is next for you, Brooke? After Survivor wraps, which, uh, when is that? Do we know when it wraps? A couple of weeks. Yeah, a couple of weeks left. What are you going to be focusing on? What is your ambition next? Yeah, well, for me, I've got I've actually got some really exciting things in the works that I can't share too much, but one of them is fitness related. So that's something that I've been aspiring to do for a long time. And what's happening in the next few months is going to be really exciting. So watch this space. And then for me, still, I'm still running with Nike. So that's something like they're training me up for a half marathon. And oh my God, no. Sorry. Yeah. That's great for you, but the half marathon, no. <laughs> yeah. So that's a really good partnership that I have. And that's just getting bigger and bigger and more momentum. And then a few other things for the second half of the year, hopefully a bit of presenting and yeah, just see where it goes. So you do want to do that, go into presenting and media work? Yeah, I do. I would love to do travel presenting or like a bit of postcards kind of vibe. You're great at that. Oh, thanks. Isn't it funny how the world works? Like this kind of was always your end game. It just takes a funny path in order for you to get there. Yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely pros and cons. I mean, I'm getting semi-dumped on TV is, <laughs> has actually had some benefits. <laughs> well, it's the best way. Like, remember Sam Frost and Blake Garvey? Best way to make the public just fucking adore you because everyone's like, you poor thing. <laughs> I think the fact is that people can relate. Like, it's just like, yes, I'm on TV, but I can still get effed over. Like, can I say effed? Yeah, oh, you, yeah. Can say it. <laughs> you can say it. <laughs> but, yeah, like, I'm just, I'm just a normal person who also – made some bad decisions. Mm. Brooke, our last question is the same for everyone. And it is, what is success to you with all of this in mind? Because I imagine this definition would have changed for you a little bit over the course of the last few months, particularly given all of the things that have been happening. For me, success, I put like on par with happiness. So to be successful, I just want to be happy. And I want to wake up every day and be happy with what I'm doing. And I want to be active and outdoors and doing something that helps people. And Mm. for me, that's fitness or yeah, like travel shows or something that makes people happy. Mm. 
So that, yeah, for me, being successful is me being happy every day. There's a lot of beautiful simplicity in that as well. So, yeah. Brooke, thank you so much for no joining worries, us. You've been an absolute delight. Congratulations on handling everything with such poise and thank grace. You. We have been applauding you <laughs> for afar, also on the podcast, because we just couldn't help it. <laughs> oh my God, I really, I listened to that and I must say thank you guys so much. <laughs> I was sitting there and I was like in a real like bubble of sadness and I listened to it and I was like, oh my God, this is so nice. And people actually have my back right now. And yeah, I really appreciate that. No, they do. And I think everybody in our community does too so thank you so much for giving us your time no for accepting our zero dollar paycheck and there were much bigger ones on the table yes. and for kicking it and then killing it in survivor this season it is incredible to see and we are so excited to see everything that's going to come up for you thanks guys appreciate it Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Brooke Jowett. You can find out more from Brooke on Instagram at Brooke Jowett. Very simple, Brooke. Thank you for that. If you liked this chat, why not scroll through our podcast feed and listen to another? There are so many interviews that we have done over the last 18 months or so. If you scroll, you will find the likes of The Bachelor's Abby Chatfield, as well as a chat with Big Brother's Tully Smythe as well. I will pop the links to those episodes in our show notes so you can find them really easily. You are welcome thank me later if you want to support shameless we are of course an independent podcast we would so love for you to come follow us on socials we're on instagram at shameless podcast we also have a facebook group called shameless podcast community as well as shameless podcast book club that is all from me you guys thank you so much for listening we'll be back in your ears on monday Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.